There's a widely circulated saying that people fear public speaking more than death. That funny but misguided bit of trivia distracts us from the opportunity we have whenever we're given the literal or metaphorical microphone and invited to share our thoughts. Our question this episode: What strategies for overcoming public speaking anxiety can help us to be better communicators in everyday conversation? Welcome to episode sixty-two of How Can I Say This, where we look to build connection and community through courageous conversations. I'm your host Beth Bilo. I am so glad that you've joined me and my guest today for a lively conversation about overcoming anxiety of public speaking. Now, if you don't consider yourself a public speaker, I invite you to think again. I can't remember who planted this idea in my head, but there's truth to it. We are all public speakers every day. Whenever we open our mouths to speak to someone, we are communicating publicly with the intention of being persuasive, giving or receiving information, or accomplishing a goal. You don't have to be on a stage or behind a podium to carry yourself and your voice with authority. And as my guest and I talk about the strategies that help you speak from the stage with ease, also apply to having more courageous everyday conversations. My guest today is Michelle Barry Franco. Michelle works with founders, entrepreneurs, coaches, and wellness experts who want to become recognized leaders in their industry through speaking and thought leadership. She has helped many clients share their message and story on TEDx stages and at the best conferences in their industry, and helped them to grow thriving businesses that make a positive difference in the world along the way. She is the author of Beyond Applause: Make a Meaningful Difference Through Transformational Speaking, and. Creator of the Recognized Leader Program and Speak So It Matters Presentation Skills Training. When she's not accelerating thought leadership success with her clients, Michelle hosts her own show, the Thought Leadership School Podcast. Before moving on to the conversation, I want to remind you that you can visit howcanisaythis.com for more information about this show. From there, you can access past episodes. You can subscribe and find details about how to leave a review or offer feedback. And if you find this podcast useful, I invite you to share it with a friend, family member, or colleague who you think would benefit from its content. And if you are a regular listener, you know that an occasional feature of this podcast is responding to listener questions about conflict, communication, connection, and relationship building. I welcome your questions for inclusion in a future episode, and you can find the online submission form and other instructions at howcanisaythis.com. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to How Can I Say This. I'm so excited to talk to you today because I just admire the work that you do and have been looking forward to this conversation. Oh, I'm super excited too. Thank you so much. I'm I'm really happy to be here. Well, let's jump in with. From what I understand, you spend most of your time, and that's working a lot with people who speak from the stage.、Mm-hmm. Because when I think about how can I say this, it's not just in interpersonal communication, but it's also how I have influence. And for many people, that is from the stage, and that stage might be in front of a committee, <laughs> or it might be, you know, in the spotlight.、Yeah. So let's start there. There's a ton of public speaking advice out there,、yeah. and you've spoken about how some conventional speaking advice really misses the mark. And I'm curious, what advice can we ignore, and what do you advise that we do instead? 
Yeah, there is a lot of public speaking advice out there. And of course, like advice about everything, Mm -hmm. (laughs) some of it's really good. And some of it, I just cringe when I hear it. And, you know, the hard part is just like whenever we're exploring something new to us, we don't know the difference, right? Right. So I love this question. I love that I might catch even one person uh, who won't get caught up in how they're supposed to move, thinking really hard about their gestures or saying it perfectly or focusing on getting rid of every um and uh so that they can be the slickest speaker possible, which, by the way, is the opposite of what most people actually want in a speaker. Right. Yeah. So what do you think people are looking for? We want connection. So if we want to influence people in our audience, we need to create trust. That's really the most important thing that we can create with an audience is a sense of trust. And that happens when we show up in full presence imperfectly. That doesn't mean we haven't prepared. Absolutely, you know, means we think about who this audience is and what they need and want, why they have decided, why they've chosen to give over their time and energy and hopefully their attention. Although that's always, you know, that's always on (laughs) on offer and possible to go away. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of what I can let go, like, because as you said, some of that advice gets in our way. One of the things that I think of is that whole, what probably the very first thing we ever hear about public speaking, which is, oh, picture the audience in their underwear, (laughs) Um, which is, I can't even imagine, like, now that I've been public speaking for a while, it's like, I can't even imagine how that would be helpful. (laughs) Like on what planet? But what are one or two or three of the most common pieces of advice that we can just, we can release and just let go? Well, that's definitely at the top of the list. (laughs) I want to say I don't know where it comes from, but I I actually do think it comes from a misunderstanding, a common misunderstanding about public speaking. And I think that misunderstanding is useful to look at, even if that is totally ridiculous advice. And most of us, but not all of us know that when we first hear it. I, I think the idea is when you picture your audience in their underwear, suddenly you become in a more powerful position and they are less powerful in some way. And that's just fundamentally flawed because when connection is your greatest goal, then it's really, I I wrote a blog post a number of years ago that I called it's you who should be naked on stage. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And, you know, what I mean by that is it's it's us showing up in our fullness, like being ourselves, truly ourselves, Mm -hmm. nakedly, even at times, when that is what will help create that connection. And that that trust that allows them what you really want for your audience is for them to let their guard down so that you can serve, right? They're not continually asking themselves, does this person know what they're talking about? Can I listen to this and actually use it? Or do I need to go look everything that they're saying up? And we do not fix that back to your question about, you know, what advice I would have people throw away. It is a lot of what I said initially, which is, it's it's not about how you move or mm-hmm. even telling the best story, the most jaw-dropping story, or, 
you know, blowing their minds with your brilliance, Mm -hmm. definitely not blowing their minds with your brilliance or your intellect. Those aren't the things that create the connection. Now, bringing insight, showing them that you get it, what they're experiencing and what they're struggling with, which they must be, otherwise they wouldn't be there. When you show them that you get it and then offer them some new way of seeing the struggle or seeing what's possible, that is where you can really create change for them. So it's less about, you know, blinding them with brilliance and more about presenting new perspectives and possibilities that come through through a story that only you can tell. Yeah. But that not, it, you know, I, I sometimes I feel like, you know, that emphasis on what's the most outrageous or yeah. over the top or mind blowing story that actually kind of separates me from the speaker. Yeah. Because I feel like, oh, that hasn't happened to me or I can't relate to that. Yeah. Because it's so far from my experience. But um, somebody being real. Yeah. Like you said, you know, they're the ones naked on the stage in that different way is more connected. Yeah, I love that you're sort of zeroing in on this. Like, that is how people often ask me, you know, I have this story to tell. And, and there's a range of ways they feel about the story that they want to tell. I work with a lot of people who are telling their own story of transformation, for example, like they were somewhere really hard. Mm -hmm. And then they struggled and struggled and struggled and figured something out through a lot of, you know, twisty roads. And they've come out the other side, and they want to tell everybody, right? Mm -hmm. From a really beautiful place, like they want to serve with this story. But you're absolutely right that we can get too deep into details that create separation. Mm -hmm. Because the story isn't actually about us. Not when we're telling a story in service. Yeah. It's about them. Yeah. And so the way we choose the details, because people will ask me, how much should I say? I say, don't fall in love with your own story. (laughs) It's not about you. Mm -hmm. It's about them Mm -hmm. and how you can share details that are true about you and your experience that will most resonate with theirs. So they can see themselves, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're reminding me of the, in my mind, at least so far in my life, the best speaking advice I'd ever heard, which was tell them what they want to hear, not what you want to tell them. Yes. And so that is that, like, like you said, don't fall in love with your own story. It's almost the same thing. Like when you're writing, you know, don't fall in love with your own words. Yeah. You have to always be checking it and saying, is me stating whatever this is, is saying whatever this is, is this about me and my ego? Yeah. Or is this about, like you said, and I love this, you know, being of service. Yep. Yeah. To the other person. Yeah. One of the ways that I think about and talk about this is that, you know, you can't give them what they need until you give them what they want. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is along those same lines and it kind of takes us in a little bit of a different direction, sort of at the second half of it, Mm -hmm. but it really is. You're right. We have to show up with exactly where they are Mm -hmm. and saying, I see you, I get you. Uh, either I've been there too, or, you know, I have a lot of experience working with people who've been there. It can also be that. And just being able to really show that. And often that does happen through story. And then they might be open to (laughs) hearing some stuff that, you know, isn't necessarily what they want to hear, but will help them. Yeah. 
yeah, we have to prime the pump first, yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. you know, and kind of warm up to that yeah. instead of coming out just all fire and energy yeah. and revelation yes. when we need to take them on the journey with us to some degree. And that means often starting by meeting them where they're at and remembering where you were yep. at the beginning of that journey. Absolutely. And it's funny, it sounds kind of dramatic, like this has to be about some big hero's journey. Mm-hmm. But this is about almost anything, right? It can be about, yeah. this can be about learning new software. <laughs> I do some trainings in, you know, companies that are software companies or financial services, and it all applies. It's like, I get it. Like, this software is weird and hard at first. Here's what it was like for me. Yeah. Then I tried a bunch of stuff, and it didn't really work that great. And here's what I learned, and I want to share it with you. Yeah. <laughs> so it can really look like that, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing that we have to remember. And, and gosh, that could be a whole nother episode about sort of everyday stories. Yeah. And how we capture those everyday, seemingly ordinary moments that are really actually pivot points for us or a learning moment, you know, a teaching yeah. moment for us. Yeah. And how can we then parlay that into how we're of service to others through what we communicate. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. And, and not discounting those stories because we feel like, you know, I don't have the struggle to climb to the mountaintop story. Yeah. So I don't have anything to say. Yes. Well, actually, you have a lot to say. Right. It's just a matter of paying attention and, and being aware and trusting it. Yes, for sure. And I think we know what those things are best when we remember that it's not about us anyway. Exactly. <laughs> if we're out there to serve, then the question is, okay, who are these people I want to serve? What are they struggling with? Mm -hmm. And what have I experienced either as a professional working with others or in my own life and often both that I can pull from? And then I often will recommend people do some, a story garden. I call it a story garden, mm. which really just looks a lot like a mind map. Yeah. <laughs> but I often draw some flowers at the top of it. I love it. And put story garden. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect even if you start your story garden early, like what are some of the things that my people struggle with the most? And then you can just start this like, and when have I experienced similar things? Mm -hmm. Oh, this time. And then what did I do? And then how does that, what's the story of that? Yeah. And then you have this rich place you can pull from of those kinds of everyday stories. I love that idea. Yeah. Well, you're reminding me one of the ways to bring stories to your awareness, especially if you're um, thinking in a professional environment is to be a mentor mentor to someone. Yeah. You know, I have a, a young woman that I'm mentoring and she just had a very, um, things turned upside down from her plans. And I actively was thinking like, how can I be of service in this moment? And I kind of dug a little bit and I'm like, when have I experienced something similar Yeah, that I can offer that perspective? Like, where did I experience something similar and then come out the other side? Yeah, And I ended up like creating a voice memo and texting it to her. I love it. And it just, it felt good to capture that story. And to, again, you know, number one, it was a great reminder for me about something that I had navigated. But it felt like, oh, now this story has additional life because it gets to be in service to someone else mm -hmm. on their journey. Yeah. And, you know, it's not a story that, you know, I mean, it's a decent story, but it's not a mountaintop story, but it's still important. Yeah, I, I think story is so powerful like that. You know, you've probably heard the whole show not tell thing. And maybe you even say that in your work as well, right? Yeah. When we can, let's show the lesson yep. through story instead of 
just try to explain it. Yep. But the other thing that I love so much about story that I think you reflected so beautifully in that example is it it just automatically shows people that they're not alone. Yeah. And we yeah. feel so alone in our struggles. The little ones that seem everyone else has figured out, but we're over there flailing all the time and the big ones. And one story told with heart just can let everyone who's struggling with that go like, oh, wow, I'm not so crazy or, you know, <laughs> incapable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so promise me we can have an encore presentation and talk about people finding their ordinary stories uh, in a future episode, because I think that that would be a lot of fun. I love it. Let's do it. That sounds great. Well, one of the things that sometimes gets in the way of our stories and, and even thinking that we have something to say is anxiety. <laughs> you know, they say like, yeah. we fear public speaking more than death. What causes that anxiety that we experience when we're in the spotlight? So there's a couple things I'd love to say about that, especially about that poll that I think was done in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. And I haven't seen the original. So I'm still pulling from things that I've, you know, heard in, in the industry. But one of the interesting distinctions that I have heard made that makes sense to me is that the poll actually says, what do you fear more, thinking about public speaking or thinking about your own death. Oh, interesting. And, right? Yeah, totally different. And so what I love about this mm -hmm. is it's the thinking part, because that is really where our awareness, I, I will talk about where, where I believe public speaking comes from in just a moment. And I think it's really beautiful to just kind of shine a light on that anxiety comes from, we live in the feeling of our thinking. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that thinking doesn't come out in words exactly. It's like can be this wordless swirl, I've noticed. Yeah. But that is really through which the feeling or the experience comes from. And then we process that and we say, oh, this is anxiety. Oh, this is speaking anxiety. Mm -hmm. And when we can really see that we are not our thinking, <laughs> We are not. Yeah. Newsflash. It's separate. <laughs> yeah. And but we're so human. And the human experience really does feel like mm -hmm. that thinking is us. And I think when most people I know when I talk about this with people, most people go like, yeah, I guess I'm not, you know, or they've heard that before. And so they're like, yeah, I know that intellectually. But really, where freedom comes from, in my experience, is two levels. One is really deeply seeing that we're not our thinking, mm -hmm. like knowing it experientially. And I don't know exactly how that happens, except to just keep seeing like, oh, yeah, I'm over here watching my thinking. So it can't be me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. That part of it. And then also really seeing that experience moves through us all the time. And so does speaking anxiety. We feel it. And then it moves. And then we feel it again. Even, you know, in a whole episode of a talk, actually, we are not feeling the speaking anxiety the entire time, almost ever. But when we have a habit of thinking that we have speaking anxiety, we often just kind of sum it all up like I was super anxious. Mm, yeah. But when I talk with clients, even clients who feel most of my clients experience speaking anxiety and me too. But the more I talk about this and really kind of explore it, the more 
I see for myself and with clients that it's actually moving through. And the more space we see in it, the less we attach to it. It's okay. It's going to pass. And it might come back again during this, and then it'll pass again. And it's just part of speaking. It's part of the human experience. Yeah. What you just said there that resonates a lot with me is that piece about attachment. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's the key to, as you say, you know, re- recognizing we are not our thoughts and we get attached to the story that we tell ourselves. And like you said, we yeah. paint a broad brush stroke with it yep. and say, I felt anxiety the whole time. Therefore, I am an anxious speaker yeah. or I'm not meant to speak in front of people in that way. Yeah. Releasing attachment. Yeah. I keep coming back to that in so many areas of my life as being the key yeah. to so much of the peace or serenity or trust that I'm seeking. Yeah, me too. Here, here. <laughs> and what I love also is when we can see that, like really see it for ourselves, you know, you get little windows in to me and then the glimmer gets a little bigger. Then we can start to see that underneath all of that is that drive. Mm-hmm that call to serve with a story, with our message. But we're so busy looking at the thoughts and what they're supposed to, and maybe we're trying to reframe them or we're working in the level of our thought that we aren't actually spending nearly as much time as we can looking at the call and like seeing how gorgeous and bright and powerful it is. And in my experience, when we spend more time seeing that, and I don't mean we have to, you know, yeah, we might be feeling anxiety too. We don't care as much that the anxiety might show up. We know it's going to move through us. Mm -hmm. We know why we're there. Yeah. Clear on our why and our purpose and how we're being of service. Now, to speak to this question, because I know that it comes up for so many people, like, why is speaking anxiety so pervasive? And, you know, why... Why, why? (laughs) The theory that makes the most sense to me is that as we have evolved as humans, many, many years ago, when we lived out in the elements, we didn't have houses protecting us and all the cars to protect us when we were traveling along. We traveled in tribes, right? In, In big groups of people. That is how we survived. And if we were ousted from the tribe, we would die either by a large animal or the neighboring dangerous tribe, you know, the, the rival tribe. Mm-hmm. And, and so when we stand up and we proclaim our, uh, you know, ideas, we take a stand, we know that we're being judged and that we have the chance of being rejected more than if we stay quiet. And we know that, I ask this in audiences all the time, how many of you judge when you watch a speaker? Mm-hmm. And of course, everybody raises their hand. Yeah. Like, it might take a minute for some people. Of course we do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we do. That's how we know we're being judged. Mm-hmm. So nobody can convince us we're not being judged. Right. That's just ridiculous. Our brain does that. It's That's its job is to discern things, right? Mm, yeah. So we know we're being judged and our primal brain goes, danger, danger. I might be ousted from the tribe and then I'll die, <laughs> which is why it's even scarier mm-hmm. to think about public speaking because it is a surefire path to death. Exactly. <laughs> but we don't need that anymore but we still have that gorgeous brain of ours which includes that primal one that's continually saving our life yeah yeah so it's really trying to protect us yeah and can we just tell it 
okay, I know you're trying to protect me. These people aren't going to come after me with fire and sticks and <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah, that, that I'm okay. Just to remind ourselves I'm okay. Yeah, we for sure can. And it might be like, no, you're not, you know. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if it feels good and it works. And what I really like to point to is you don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. The more you see that those thoughts aren't you, that that's the brain that we get as humans that does so many beautiful problem solving things for us. But it also goes a little haywire in some areas. The more we can just go like, oh, this is the part where that thought storm shows up. Sometimes we have a storm and that's all we can see. And that's cool. It's going to pass. Yeah. And then look toward the call, Mm -hmm. that beautiful, bright, shining call that's saying, I'm meant to do this. I don't know why, but here I am. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, the final question I want to ask is related to this, and it has to do with that kind of sticking your neck out in the tribe. Yeah. You know, it seems like one of the barriers to speaking up, especially in a professional situation, is around trusting your voice or trusting your expertise. And I know this is super important to you. You even have a podcast called The Thought Leadership School. Yeah. Which, if I understand right, is about, you know, asserting your your authority, your expertise, your standing in your power as a thought leader. It's about sharing your best ideas in service of others. Yep. Yeah, great. And so in order to do that, you know, we number one, we have to work through that anxiety and, you know, move through it. But what advice do you have for those who have difficulty asserting themselves, especially if they're feeling like their status as a tribe member might be threatened, (laughs) um, they're either outranked or outnumbered or, you know, somehow especially vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, this definitely comes up a lot, especially when I do, you know, as I said, these corporate trainings and in places where hierarchy is just is really real, at least it's real in the corporate story and in the sort of the way they all talk to each other. But that is where I'm going to point around this too, which is, All of those things like outranked, outnumbered, high stakes is another Mm -hmm. uh, phrase that is used a lot. You know, well, this is a high stakes talk. You know, this one's different. So I really need to be anxious and worry about this one. They're all thoughts we have. Mm -hmm. And that's all they are. When (laughs) it's the answer is always kind of the same, maybe annoyingly, which is if you are here to serve, And you know that you have something to say that will serve this particular audience, make their lives better in their job, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to teach them how to use this new software or how to move through this big transition that the company is going through. And, And that's your job. The focus is on service. And when the focus is on service and not performance, It changes, like where we're putting our attention changes. I'm not saying anxiety won't be there. It's just you don't care as much. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes, I'm sure I'm going to say it wrong, is by Sid Banks. He was a Scottish welder who had this big enlightenment experience. And the quote goes something like, if every person in the world were just less afraid of their own experience, the whole world would be better. Hmm. Nice. And that's just like, that really is where the magic is. And at first, it can sound really like, oh, great, how do I do that? Mm-hmm. And and I would just say, like, when we sit with that for a while, it has absolutely been my experience that when we sit with that for a while, what if we could experience anything in service of serving? Mm-hmm. Like, this is what we're here to do, including the task at hand, right? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. something at work. And just allowed it to move through us. Yeah. 
That's really beautifully said. Thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. Well, how can people learn more about you and your work and find your podcast? So my podcast is called the Thought Leadership School Podcast, and we are currently on hiatus. Mm -hmm. So I'm taking a little break. I have a kind of a new, not an entirely new direction, but I can feel some new things brewing. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I know when new things are brewing is that I need space. Absolutely. (laughs) I love the episodes that are there. So there's lots of great, rich stuff, very practical application stuff about public speaking at the Thought Leadership School Podcast. And then you can learn more about my work at michelleberryfranco.com is the best place to go. Terrific. And I will make sure that there are links to both of those resources on the episode webpage. Thank you. Make it easy for people to find you. Yeah. Also, if I could share, because it has been helpful for a lot of people, if you go to michelleberryfranco.com forward slash free book, you can get a copy of my book, Beyond Applause free copy, a digital you know, version. And then there's a little mini course that I created with it that just walks through for those people, especially who want to be on great stages and really know they have something they want to say on those kinds of stages. I just walk through the process of the path to thought leadership. So they might find that really helpful too. Nice. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I'll include a link to that as well. And And, you know, as we've been talking about this, we've sort of vacillated between, you know, the everyday conversation and the stage conversation. And it really is a journey. And I think you you start to get to the stage by paying attention to how you are communicating in your everyday conversations. Yeah. Um, So you've given us some really good insights into how we can be very intentional and show up in such a way that paves that way if that's something that we want. And even if we don't, it's just going to make our, you know, who doesn't want to be seen and heard and have some influence? And there are all sorts of ways to do that. Yeah. Everything I've said applies to really any time we just want to use our voice. Yeah. (laughs) Like sitting in a meeting, trying to say something that's really hard. It's all the same, isn't it? Yes. Like we get caught up in our heads. Yeah. And our egos. Ah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Michelle. This has been great fun. I'm already looking forward to part two, where we get to dive a little bit more into that everyday stories and how that influences and can be a, a powerful piece of the way we communicate with others and make connection. So thank you so much for your time and your expertise. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to part two also. I hope you found that conversation as energizing as I did. I love how Michelle brings our awareness towards reasons why we have a message worth sharing and that we should trust our own stories. And I really can't wait to have that follow-up conversation we discussed about how to find powerful and persuasive stories from the ordinary moments of our lives. Your call to action is related to her point about how your thoughts aren't you. When do your thought storms show up and stop you from speaking out or speaking your truth? What thoughts seem to be on a loop, showing up again and again, so much so that you start to believe them? Your first step is to notice these thoughts and catch them when they're happening. Once you notice them, decide how you want to respond. Because those thoughts usually want to protect you from whatever they perceive to be harmful, it might be a simple... Hey, I hear you, and I'm okay. I've got this. Or, thanks for your concern. Everything is fine. If you ignore the loopy thoughts, they'll just get louder. The trick is to acknowledge the thought storm and let it know that you are in control. 
This is Beth Bilo, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you so much for joining me and Michelle today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. Courageously.